Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Sequim territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequim-Ulu. And today's text, Thumbsucker by Walter Kern, takes place in Minnesota, the traditional home of the Anishinaabewaki, Ocheti, Shakoin, and Midewakanton peoples. Joe. Mm-hmm. You programmed this. <laughs> uh, your tone sounds accusatory. No, it as is. I mentioned last week, this was a listener request. And again, I'll apologize because I was unable to uh, go back and find out who had asked for it. But yeah, this is um, this is an unusual one, isn't it, Brenna? You know, it is and it isn't. There's definitely this, like, era of books about teenage boys Mm -hmm. where the central focus is just a kind of nihilism. Right. And this is of that era. So Thumbsucker, the book was published in 1999. Mm -hmm. The film came out in 2008. And it is definitely, like, of its moment. Yes. And... You made a really interesting observation, which is that this isn't really a book about a teenager, right? Mm-mm. It's like a book of a teenager describing the adults around him, which was also kind of a thing at that time period. Yeah, I was trying to think if we had done a sort of comparable text. And I feel like the closest we came was something like, like in tone, at least, it feels a little bit like me and Earl and the Dying Girl, but that was about a trio of teenagers. Like, it was principally about their lives. Whereas you're right, this is very much about Justin's observations of adults around him from a young adult perspective. Like, he's 17 years old, going on 18. And yet, I finished this book, and I didn't mind it. Like, I actually really got into it by the end of it, mm-hmm. but felt like I couldn't tell you who Justin was. I could tell you everything about everyone around him, but not so much the character himself. Yeah, he's definitely this observer figure. And the book itself is very strange in that it is structured. Well, I said to you in a text last night, it's three novels. There are three Mm -hmm. parts of the novel and you could read any one of them completely discreetly from the others and you'd be fine. Yeah. And it really took me until the third one to start to get interested in what was happening. Like, mm-hmm. I found the first two very slow going and the third one, by, right. by comparison, like, I it's whipped speedy. right through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that has a lot to do with sort of the thematic focuses of the three books. Like, the thematic focus of the first book is, like, his adventures with Ritalin, basically. Mm-hmm. And the thematic focus of the second book is, like, his relationship with his father. And then the third is the family's foray into Mormonism. Mm-hmm. And of those three, I found the third the most compelling, for sure. Yeah, I wondered if that was partially a novelty. Like, I sent you a responding text that mentioned I actually have a lot of close connections to, yeah, the the Church of Latter-day Saints. My sister in high school, a bunch of her friends were Mormons, so I gained an appreciation for, like, the things that they're not supposed to do or consume, and basically how that just turns them all into rebels as teenagers. (laughs) Like, none of her friends would come over, and they would act like they were on a, like, 
what is it a, a rum a rung springer or something <laughs> like the equivalent of that for mormon people where they would just be like give us all the bad stuff we're not supposed to consume and then i also have a, a cousin who is very like devoutly religious member of the faith and i think he's up to like eight kids he lives on a farm in alberta and so it was really interesting to see this reflected in a text because I realized we've actually never touched on Mormonism no, we in haven't. any of the books or, or media we've consumed for the show. And it's kind of weird because I have a personal fascination with – I'm really interested in American religions. There's something mm -hmm. to me about like a new world religion that I find so fascinating um, because to me, I grew up with this sense that religion was this thing that was like mystic and shrouded in like distance and time. And so mm -hmm. to be able to just like go to the holy sites right. of Mormonism, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by Scientology. I'm just fascinated oh, yeah. by sort of any religion that has kind of come about in, in the sort of modern era, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I was also surprised that we've never really explored. We've had, like, obviously we've had hints of religion in various mm -hmm. texts, but yeah, to really go into the Mormon teen experience and the missionary thing and like the whole nine mm -hmm. yards, that was, I thought that was the strongest part of the book. I also think it was the, it was the section of the book with the most plot, which probably helped oh. that. Yeah, the other key takeaway for me from reading particularly the first two books or parts as you're describing is it feels like a series of vignettes, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. there's the encounters with Justin's dentist who runs marathons and is like really focused on his health, but they have a very combative relationship over Justin's titular thumb sucking, which is like his oral fixation, right? Mm -hmm. And the whole book is dedicated to him more or less trying to find things or experiences that will fill the void of what the thumb sucking was doing for him originally. Mm -hmm. But it's like, we've got that. We've got his mom, Audrey, who he refers to his parents by their first names. Uh, it's a whole thing. But he gets really jealous and even threatened that Audrey is going to leave him because she's taken up a fascination with a soap star. And she's working at a rehab clinic where said star uh, ends up showing up later. And there's all these little interactions where you're like, oh, this is quirky. This is kind of fun. But it frequently doesn't feel like it's all connecting to a larger story. So you're right. When you get to the third part, it finally feels like the plot kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, you know, that's not uncommon. But usually when we have these vignette-based books, the vignettes are all sort of working towards like larger character development. But because mm -hmm. Kern isn't really actually interested in Justin's development Justin, as a all. character. No. <laughs> um, we don't have that. And so, yeah, I was trepidatious going into the film because all I could think was like, how mm -hmm. are you going to movie this? And yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get, we'll get there. there. <laughs> but let me try to give an overview of the book sure. as best yeah. I can. So this book is ostensibly the story of Justin Cobb. And it takes place in Minnesota. And I actually think that Midwestern setting is really important, Joe. Mm. I think it loses something in the move to Portland in the film because there's something about uh, Justin being the weird kid in a town of people who are like aggressively not weird um, mm -hmm. that I think is really important to the kind of tone of, of his experiences. Anyway. Right. So Justin's dad is a washed up college football star who uh, has a whole bunch of life regrets, although we slowly discover that he actually 
kind of used an injury as an excuse to quit football and could have kept playing. Mm -hmm. He now owns a sporting goods store um, and really pushes his sons to be competitive, aggressive, and a very particular definition of masculinity. Mm -hmm. Very conventional, very traditional. Yeah, I find him deeply exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course we would, yes. (laughs) Um, His mom, Audrey, is a nurse, Mm -hmm. and she goes from working at like a public hospital at the beginning of the text, long hours and exhausted all the time to um, in the middle portion of the book this is aligns with the time that uh, Justin thinks she's having an affair she mm-hmm. goes to work at this private um, drug rehab clinic and right. yeah the, and then eventually she goes back to the public hospital and her arc is all about kind of like realizing the life that she has basically settled into and mm-hmm. being okay with it um, and also Justin learning that his mom can be a whole human being without necessarily having an affair. Like he doesn't seem to recognize any of that until much later in the text. Yeah. I mean, like there's definitely an argument to be made about some kind of Oedipal oh, piece, yeah. right? Especially like, in the film. The film really cranks that to 11. Yeah. It, it's very much like, does Justin want to sleep with his mom? Because he is so ultra possessive of her. But yeah, mm-hmm. like... Like a a psychologist's dream, that's what this character is. (laughs) So true. So true. Um, And then there's younger brother, Joel, who is basically a nothing character in the text. Joel is the opposite of Justin in almost every way. Whatever Justin is doing in the family, Joel is doing the opposite. So he's like succeeding as an athlete when Justin Mm -hmm. isn't. And then alternately, when Justin kind of gets his act together, that's when Joel kind of goes off the rails a little bit so they're like these these sort of parallel characters to each other yes also i take issue with your claim that joel is like a nothing character because i frequently found myself wishing that there was a side version of this text that could present us with joel's perspective because yeah it must be absolutely wild to live in this family (laughs) no that's fair i just think the book doesn't care anything at all about joel or anything about him yeah yes i agree with that then (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's one of those things, right, where how many books have we read where we've been like, but that's the interesting character. Why aren't you telling me more about that character? Yeah, for sure. And so basically the plot, such as it is, is just these four people living mostly unhappily together in this Mm -hmm. home and taking on various sort of externalities, including ultimately Mormonism as a way to kind of Mm -hmm. escape what they don't like about their lives together. So and and all of this is driven by Mike, the dad, who he's just so aggressive about this particular form of masculinity and trying mm-hmm. to get Justin to fit into it in some way. Yeah. So the the second section has like this extended sojourn into oh fly fishing territory. And also we would be remiss not to mention the fact that his father has like an aggressively racist tendency to yes. be like, I'm going to go on the Indian reserve and buy tobacco chew. And he's so specifically dismissive. red man brand. Like he, that's what he buys and or and like, oh, my God, purposefully. That's yeah. why he buys it. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's a bit of a dick, uh, this guy. But I don't know, like I, I found that. I think I settled into the rhythm of the book a little faster than you did because Mm -hmm. by the time we got to the fly fishing stuff, I was actually really firmly invested and on board with how – with how the interplay between Justin and Mike ends up working because I liked that at this point Justin was almost – 
actively resistant like he refuses mm-hmm. to ask his father for help when he can't uh load the bait on his fly fishing to the point that he just gives up and stands on the water and watches his dad <laughs> fish <laughs> yeah no i get it i mean there are there were definitely moments that grabbed me and i think that i just think there's a level at which like this book was too testosterone for me. Like, mm, you've been having some issues with this lately. Oh we're we're on a roll with these boy-dominated texts, right? Yeah, and it's interesting how, I don't know, I think for me it's that combination here of like, everything sucks and the world is terrible and also mm-hmm. masculinity is a thing I have to challenge myself over. It's just like, oh my god, like there's this extended protracted scene where they try to go on a family hike. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike is maybe trying to die by suicide. Yes. and But he tells everyone afterwards that it was just an act. He just wanted to see if Justin would react. And of course, Justin does react. But in the process, like Justin almost dies trying to save mm-hmm. his father. And it's just like, you people need therapy. Please, someone in this book go to therapy. <laughs> Yeah, we, we've not addressed it, but the book is actually set in the 80s. So this yes. level of masculinity, this sort of performative family values is very much a byproduct of the Reagan 80s, the threat to the nuclear family as divorce numbers rise. And as you mentioned, where this book is set, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of middle-ish America. So you very much get the impression like family is where it's at. That's what the whole story is all about. So it makes sense that we're investigating where the cracks in this facade lie. Absolutely. Yeah. All true. All absolutely true. Um, it doesn't always make it easier to read. No, but... no it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about that last book or the third section with the Mormonism? Because you mentioned the plot is kicking in, but arguably you could say it's still mostly a series of vignettes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just mean we have this – I guess part of it is that we just have an imposed timeline now because mm-hmm. – If you know anything about Mormonism, you know that at the age that Justin is, when the family joins, there's going to be this thrust towards the mission. And so Mm -hmm. it becomes like – I just – I think what I found so interesting was finally seeing Justin wrestling with something – and it not being totally externalized through other characters. Like it is a little right. bit. He's got kind of this like nemesis in this other Mormon kid. Um, mm-hmm. And he's got this love interest in the form of this girl who the elders seem to just send out to it's, like oof. honey trap the boys who might be thinking about leaving Mormonism. It's yeah, really stay upsetting. in the religion. This girl will give you handy J's. <laughs> she just said handy J's. Sure did. Oh, it's what she does. Sorry, she gives him a blow, Jay. How's that? <laughs> Just the turn of phrase is more than I can handle. Oh okay, I'm sorry, Brenna. She fellates him <laughs> on a Mormon trip. Is <laughs> that better? Uh, okay. Anyway, so that happens. Um, but we also get to actually see Justin thinking about religion, thinking about belief, questioning Mm -hmm. the way he was raised. What Justin comes to realize is that his father chose Mormonism as like literally any kind of structure to pull himself out of a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. And because his father is the most userous man in the world, um, (laughs) as soon as his life is better, he basically like chucks Mormonism to the side. And then he looks at Justin, he's like, why are you still going to church, weirdo? (laughs) 
Yeah, you could be golfing with your mom and I. That's our new religion. Oh, honestly, Joe, this might be a candidate for one of the worst dads we've encountered. And that's saying something. Yeah, because it's not like he's incredibly abusive. Like you could make the argument gently that he's emotionally abusive, but he's just, he's so selfish. Oh my God. It's wild. It is wild, the level of selfishness. And just the general disinterest in Justin as a person. Mm Mm-hmm. The film actually pulls that off pretty well, but I, I'm really sort of, yeah, I don't know. I kept reading and I kept being like, okay, well, the father's going to redeem himself somewhere, right? right? No, n- never Any happens. Redemption? It never happens. Mike and Audrey really don't change that much, which no. is also interesting. Like, we've argued that the book seemingly doesn't have an interest in Justin or we know the least about him, but I guess maybe that's untrue or us not being generous because... I think what we need to do is see this kind of facsimile of what a regular life can look like through Audrey and Mike, so that in the last act when Justin is on the cusp of adulthood and he's able to make his own decisions, that's where he has to decide, do I want to Mm. be like my parents? Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. No, no. No. Um, Brenda, before we leave the book and talk about the film and some of those adaptation choices... I want to get your feelings about a particular adventure, which is, we've not really talked about it, one of the oral fixations that Justin falls into is taking drugs. So he begins smoking a lot of pot, and he ends up having this girl that has kind of gone astray. She's gone to seed, and she's supposed to be a good girl, but she takes him to go and get drugs. And at the drug dealer's house, they see a baby who is... (sighs) I blocked, honestly, God, Joe, I blocked all of this out. I blocked all of this out. I j- I'm realizing now. Yep. Go ahead. Go on. So basically the parents are are blowing marijuana smoke into this baby and the baby is effectively an, an addict. And Justin and this girl decide that they're going to steal the baby. They're going to liberate it because these parents are abusing it. So they try to do so well high and then they drive around and eventually they just end up giving the baby back to these parents and they see it later and it's like the baby's kind of okay it's gained weight it's looking a little bit better but it's it is a thoroughly morally gray horrible sequence in this book so it's awful because not Mm -hmm. only is like it would be one thing if the kid was just growing up in pot smoke but it's like first of all they're actively like forcing it to breathe in that Mm -hmm. but also like they're not feeding it. They're not stimulating it. It spends its life like living in a cardboard box. Yep. It's ho- the whole thing is horrible. But and the kid is also like physically unwell. Sort mm-hmm. of the skin is kind of a pallid gray color and doesn't respond to stimulus. And there's this weird scene where after the girl who uh, Justin steals the baby with bails on the whole baby stealing affair, mm-hmm. Justin instead of just like going to a hospital, I right. don't I don't understand any of what happens he he goes and finds this friend of his who's a drifter who tried to buy him beer once but failed mm-hmm. that's where he takes the kid and yeah. it's like he realizes that the kid is going through withdrawal so he also blows like pot smoke at the kid mm-hmm. and then he feel now he feels complicit like that's the moment where he feels complicit in what's happening to this child yeah and it's such a strange scene it's because very I, strange. I don't understand what we were supposed to gain from reading it. 
Do you think it's just meant to be a different model of parenthood or like representative of, well, here's another route that you could take when you become an adult? Oh, God, that's bleak. Isn't it though, right? I mean, we've we've talked about this kind of normal facade that pervades this, this town and a lot of the people that we deal with. You know, we haven't talked about Mike's parents who are... I don't know. I get like a weird hippie vibe. They drive around in an RV, but also they would rather stay in the RV than come into their actual house because they prefer the beds. And, you know, like the book is filled with these kinds of weird characters and it's character true. moments. Well, so, everybody is so isolated, right? Like that is the, yeah. the thematic link for all of the stories. It's like mm-hmm. everybody is isolated and everybody is trying to figure out life entirely on their own without any without any sort of meaningful relationships and there's Mm -hmm. a scene when you know because mike wants everybody to know how much pain he is in all the time all the time (laughs) but he won't actually like at one point justin says to him like you you want me to acknowledge all this hard stuff you've been through but you won't tell me how you got through it and that's what i need to know like that's what i need to Mm. understand yeah there's like no one does anything in relation or in community with each other. And I think that there's a level at which this book is trying to be a, a sort of um, condemnation of the rugged individualism of the 1980s and the mm, damage mm-hmm. that that did to a lot of people. Like, right. When yeah. I'm being generous, I can find that in this book. Okay. <laughs> but the, the problem is that the problem is that nothing in the book that is interesting is sustained for very long. And I think that. Right. As soon as you try to make an argument that, yeah, like this is, you know, a social critique or whatever, it begins to fall apart because nothing is sustained for more than like five to 10 pages at a time. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is I'm on the Goodreads page for the book and they actually describe him as the most appealingly bright and screwed up fictional adolescent since (laughs) Holden Caulfield. Sorry, that's going to be really loud for editing. What the fuck? <laughs> hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. This this is the most appealing character since a character that was also not in any way appealing. <laughs> I mean, I think a bunch of people find this book very funny as well. Yeah. And I, I find it more satirical than yes, funny. Definitely. Like, this to me feels... Like we could have read it in our American satire class I was back thinking at university. That the whole time, I actually because I yeah, I kept thinking the particular professor we have for that class probably loved this book. <laughs> yeah, like let let's piggyback this with Portnoy's complaint, and then we can do like oral fixations and heavy masturbation. Yay! <laughs> the American <laughs> literary tradition. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Let's talk about the film. Let's. There's only so much I can do with traditional orthodontics. Justin, are you ready to let go of your thumb? Why are you talking like that? Some long to find themselves breaking out. I want to try hypnosis. Imagine you're deep in the forest. Call on your power animal. Come here. Do it in your mind. Being the mother of a 17-year-old is a trip. You're supposed to have all the answers, and you don't have one. 97% of the... If you want to admire Rebecca, do that during recess. Attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, classic hyperactive teen. But it's not that simple. Maybe it is. 
No, you should see it. And he wears this tie. Did you see the girls out there? Yeah. Okay, go round them up. Bring them in here. Men's room. That's okay. I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. Mitochondria. It's like he thinks he's smarter than me. We have to overcome the idea that everyone is the same. You're a killer. You're a stone-faced killer. It works. I changed. You don't fool yourself into thinking you've got the answer. Yeah, I feel great. Before I came in? Aren't you just my orthodontist? I like to think of myself as more than that. Okay, so as you mentioned, the film comes out in 2005. It is written and directed by Mike Mills. I'm quite fond of his subsequent films, Beginners and 20th Century Women. And uh, this isn't a slam dunk film for me, unfortunately. Mm -mm. So we have Lou Taylor Pucci as Justin, and we have Tilda Swinton as his mom, Audrey, and Vincent D'Onofrio as Mike, his father, We have Keanu Reeves as Dr. Perry Lyman, the orthodontist dentist guy. We have Kelly Garner as Rebecca, who is the girl that he has a crush on who kind of like goes bad. And then we've got Benjamin Bratt as Matt Schramm, the soap star who goes to Audrey's rehab clinic. And finally, Vince Vaughn as Mr. Geary, who is the debate club teacher. This cast is wild. It is stacked. It is such a stacked cast. And individually, there are really great moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, do I ever think that all together... I don't know, Joe, this is what, two years after Garden State? One year after Garden State? And it's very much like, okay, we're doing mm-hmm. this again. We've got a young male auteur-style filmmaker uh, with a, a young male protagonist who is uh, finds the world really hard. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, We just saw this so many times in the early 2000s, and man, I just... You know what kills me about this is I think I probably would have really loved it in 2005. That is amusing, yeah. (laughs) I was looking at some of the reviews for this because it got a relatively positive reception. It's about like just under 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, so like most people generally liked it, and... It's fascinating to see people call this, you know, like a quiet, quirky gem, or it's terrific, or it's very funny, and this kind of stuff. The only person who I think really nailed it for me is Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and his review is, although the intellectual level of Thumbsucker is quite a few cuts above many teen angst movies, I don't know if I agree with that, (laughs) the film boasts several impressively nuanced portrayals. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. But it is not sufficiently distinctive to stand wholly apart from the pack. And I think that's my big thing. This movie just feels so samey, samey. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, there's interesting, as I already said, there's interesting beats. Like, I think Keanu Reeves is a really great casting choice for Perry Lyman. Mm. Go through the arc of, like, the total hippie, yeah, who goes on to become the sort of straight-laced not nearly as conservative as in the book, to then, mm-hmm. like, the nihilist character. Like, I thought that, yeah. you know, Keanu Reeves is a perfect... He's a great choice for that. Yeah. And Tilda Swinton is excellent as this sort of as mom always. with something more below the surface. 
Uh huh. I actually think that Vincent D'Onofrio almost doesn't work because I find him too likable. Yeah, he's very likable. And well, and actually, he's a very different character in the film, right? We have Mm -hmm. all these scenes at the opening of the film that are quite confusing because on the one hand, he's very aggressively like pulling the thumb out of Justin's mouth. and, And but he's also there's no less than four scenes where we see him kiss Justin on the head. Mm hmm. So I found that odd. Yeah, he's just too paternal. Like when he's being aggressive, it's still because he loves Justin. Whereas in the book, you often get the impression he just wants Justin to be like him. He almost doesn't have any affection for his son. And the naming thing doesn't make any sense in the film either. We didn't talk about the why, but basically Mike requires that Justin call him Mike and not Mm -hmm. dad because it makes him feel old Old. to be called dad. (laughs) And it makes him think his wife is old if he hears Audrey called mom. Like it's it's actually like profoundly gross. It's so insecure. (laughs) It's so insecure. It's so selfish. Like no no concern about what children might need from the relationship to their parents, right? Mm -hmm. And so then in the film, when you see him like putting his arm around him and giving him a kiss on the head, but then also making him call him Mike, it's just weird. Yeah, yeah. I was very confused by this adaptation. And I think in part, it's because I expected them to properly adapt the book. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to sound dismissive, but we have talked about the book as being divided up into three sort of separate sections, right? And the film only adapts two. Mm-hmm. So we don't get any of the Mormon stuff, Brenna. No, the stuff I like the best. Well, and I... I can't figure out if that's why I was so lukewarm to kind of eh about the film because I kept waiting for the Mormon stuff to come in because it was the most interesting part of the book. And for them to just excise it completely, like the movie still ends with Justin getting on a plane and going on what could be construed as a mission. He gets into a a university in New York. So it's the same destination and the same kind of end scenes. But it has none of the impact because the book ends on this kind of cliffhanger of is Justin going to be just like his father and abandon Mormonism because it's become inconvenient and he's now quote unquote free. Mm-hmm. The film doesn't have any of that. No. So it just ends with this dumb meat cute with this girl. Yeah. And it's one of those things too, where it's like the familial relationships, which haven't been well set up at all. And at the end, it's like, Oh, his parents really like deeply love him and want what's mm-hmm. best for him. And they're really going to miss him. Like there's this what? scene where Vincent D'Onofrio was like, Oh, you're going away to university. I just, I just started getting used to having you around. And it's like, mm-hmm. wait, what? What? <laughs> yeah, it, it's too desperate to be treacly and sentimental because that's what these movies are supposed to be. Like, shocking no one, Brenna. I think I counted no less than five to seven musical montages in yeah, this movie, yeah. which again, Garden State for days. Yes, the soundtrack too is, I mean, it's really important, Joe, if folks haven't seen the movie, they need to understand that the soundtrack of the film was supposed to just be cover songs performed by Elliot Smith exclusively. Mm. And then Elliot Smith died. And so they were like, oh, no, now what are we going to do? So then they had the polyphonic spree compose the entire soundtrack. I mean, it is so of its moment. Yes. It's wild. Yeah. Like, you watch this and it feels like you have opened, like, dug up a time capsule <laughs> from 2005 because it is the most 2005-ish. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I found this one really difficult to be objective about Me because too. I not only went into it 
anticipating, okay, this is going to be a tricky adaptation at the best of times. And then to see what creative decisions they do, like, it's not that it's a bad movie per se, Mm -hmm. it's just so familiar. And it feels like it's not really offering us anything new, particularly without the Mormonism, which was the kind of thing that made the book different from a lot of other traditional coming of age texts. I agree. And also, you know, the film shines away from a lot of the more complicated moments in even in the earlier parts of the film. So like, Mm -hmm. one of the things that happens when Justin goes on Ritalin is that he discovers an aptitude for public speaking and he joins this speech and debate club, um, which in the film has Vince Vaughn as the the teacher. And they Mm -hmm. have this scene where um, they convince the teacher to buy them booze and it all goes pear shaped. And the film does show that scene. But then subsequent to that, Justin doesn't really understand what he's discovering, but like, like Mr. Geary is gay and there's Mm -hmm. this scene that's really sort of troubling where Mr. Geary like falls in love almost with a kid or falls in infatuation with like a kid on the other team Mm -hmm. and then like has this breakdown and like shaves his head and goes through all this stuff and like the film's not interested in exploring any of the more difficult, complicated moments. It's much no. more interested in being sort of like a kids are taking too much medication, man. It's the mm-hmm. mid-2000s and we're taking a stand <laughs> on that with the polyphonic spree, man. That's the film. That's the film. <laughs> yeah, we again sort of failed to mention the timing as well. But like yeah. you noted that we changed the location. But also this is aggressively not the 80s. No, like, no, no. This is the mid-2000s. So mm-hmm. all of this obsession with drugs, which makes sense in the 80s, where it was very much the kids are losing their way because of all of the things like the divorce and the the climate crisis and we're coming into the AIDS era and stuff. None of that makes sense in updating the time to the mid 2000s like we weren't particularly worried about teenagers doing drugs no it's it feels very it just it's it's such an easy trope right like Mm -hmm. you know it and i don't mean to keep drawing the comparison to garden state but like the whole thing of garden state right was like i'm taking all these antidepressants and they're breaking up my ability to live and so manic pixie Mm -hmm. dream thingamajig and now i don't take the drugs anymore I'm trying so hard to make a human connection. And maybe if I move home and reconnect with my like core family emotional values, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And here we have basically the same thing, except the motivation for stopping the Ritalin is not nearly as clear. In the book, it's very clear. A Mm -hmm. Mormon girl says she can taste the Ritalin in his sperm. So he stops stops taking it for Mm -hmm. that reason. Um, But in the the film, it's just kind of like, it wasn't really me. So yeah. I stopped taking, I don't know, I just, I, it was, honestly, it was boring. It was boring. That is the it word was boring. that I will use. Yeah. It's really unfortunate, too, because we talked about Tilda and Vincent, and they're they're both quite like good. like how you're on first name basis with these people. Uh, well, if I, if I refer to them by their last name, then it makes them feel like actors, and they don't like that, so. <laughs> oh, good one, Joe. Really proud of you. That was great. <laughs> I think that they're both doing okay. Like, Keanu is inspired casting, as we said. Vince Vaughn is actually also quite good as Mr. Geary. He I love just, him. He's in, what, two scenes? Yeah, there's just not enough of him, but I actually love – this is a very understated Vince Vaughn. This was the mm-hmm. start of grown-up Vince Vaughn, which is a right. Vince Vaughn that I can appreciate. And actually, <laughs> that role was supposed to go to Matthew McConaughey, and I think that would have been insufferable. So I'm glad It Vince would have Vaughn been a very it. different vibe, right? Oh, my God. But Lou Taylor Pucci is really, I mean, he's the glue holding this whole movie together. He's in 
very nearly every scene, I think. Yeah. And it's not that he's bad. It's just that Justin is such a forgettable character. Like, Justin is the film's primary focus. He's all over this movie. It is his story, unlike the book, which often leads you to believe we don't know this character at all. Mm -hmm. It's the reverse is true in the film. And yet there's nothing that distinguishes this character apart from the fact that he's just like, I'm sorry, a basic mediocre white boy. Yes, white. It's boring. It's very, very boring. <laughs> just like, I don't know, like we don't make movies like this anymore because I think we realize, oh, these are a dime a dozen stories. Yeah. Yeah, I oh oh is a middle class white boy having a hard time? Oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, the ennui of middle class suburbia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's not that those. It's not that if you're in that experience of pain that your pain doesn't count or anything. It's just like there's already four hundred movies for you to watch about that experience. Mm -hmm. And frankly, better ones, like ones yeah. that are doing more interesting, challenging nuanced things and it is a shame because it was nice to see benjamin bratt in this role i actually think he's very funny mm -hmm. did you enjoy watching him get fisted by Tilda swinton <laughs> i had forgotten about that scene in the book so when you texted me that i was like what <laughs> then i watched and i was like oh right the drugs the drugs he has drugs up his butt yeah and he tries to dig them out with a spoon yuck gross <laughs> uh brother let's play some bye bingo with yeah this. let's just do it let's just do it bingo not a good bingo. Okay, what you got? So for the film, I'm going to give coincidental classes to okay. the speech and debate because we spend such an awful lot of time in those scenes in the film. Mm -hmm. I am going to say abuse for the emotional abuse in the family in the book. I don't think sure. it's in the film, but I do think it's in the book. I think that we end up on borrowed time in the third book as we hurdle towards the decision around the mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got a number of road trips. Like yep. every time so his dad many. has an existential crisis, they get in the car and drive somewhere. <laughs> Under the auspices 80s. of a family vacation, usually. <laughs> yeah. Except for the ones where he's like planning to end his own life. It's quite awful. <laughs> um, I We have a queer secondary character in the book in the form of Mr. Geary. Right. Not the most sensitive or thoughtful portrayal, but there it is. Nope. We have infinite montages in the film, oh as God. you've already said. And set to musicality. We have to give it to musicality. The idea, just the audacity of a film scored by the polyphonic spree is just mm -hmm. so, we have to, we have to call it. We have to call it. Mm -hmm. What do you have? Anything else? What do I have? I have Hollow Romance because oh, yeah. <laughs> Justin convinces himself that Opal, that is the Mormon girl, is going to wait for him while he goes on his uh adventure and she immediately regrets even interacting with him after their one sexual tryst. yeah but don't forget then she gets into university in new york right and apparently will be keeping tabs on him yes. good luck with that opal oh my god hilarious, hilarious. obviously stun casting because yes. even at this point in their careers every one of these adults was very much like this is how we will get this indie film financed mm -hmm. and then you can challenge me on this, but I kind of think the relationship between Justin and Joel is emblematic of a good friendship because they they do care about each other, even though they are kind of polar opposites. Wow, man, I wouldn't I'm not going to disagree with you if that's how you read it. But that going away speech, Joel just excoriates <laughs> his brother. Like it's just it's one of the meanest things ever. And I'm there for it every minute of it. But yikes. I did kind of love it. Yeah. <laughs> 
just like Joel a lot. I do like Joel a lot. It's true. <laughs> the other fun thing is that we would have originally had a filmed in Canada square because this was yeah. meant to be shot in Vancouver, but then they were lured down to the States with tax rebates. Oh man, it's a bad scene when when Vancouver's losing to tax rebates. That's that's what we have. It's we literally have how rebates. we get people to Vancouver in the first place. <laughs> it's true. Um, so we are super super close, but unfortunately, no line. And the movie can't even give us a line. Honestly, what Honestly. what are you good for? <laughs> If people are interested, I would highly recommend Beginners, which is Ewan McGregor dealing with his gay dad, played by Christopher Plummer, who is dying. And it is kind of Garden state because, yeah, he has a Manic Pixie Dream Girl that he's interested in, but it's very sweet. And there's a great dog performance. A great dog performance. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm yeah. into it. Okay. So, Joe. Yes. Should we talk about where we're heading next? Absolutely. So we're sticking with this sort of disaffected dude uh, theme, but mm-hmm. uh, now it's a disaffected dude who I like hanging out with because we're going to actually finally watch the movie Say Anything. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, a little John Cusack classic. Uh, I haven't seen this in forever. No, it's been a long time for me too, and I'm definitely like a giant John Cusack fan, so I'm very excited to see Say Anything again. And, you know, I think that's an example of a character like Justin, but maybe done a little better. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it won't hold up to my memories. I don't know. There we go. And then if you are looking ahead to our next book club, we're reading We Are Totally Normal. So make sure you're getting your responses into that. As always, full-length responses so that we can put you in the mailbag. Those are best to come in by email, hkhspod at gmail.com. Joe, if they want to find us on Twitter, where do they find you? It would be at B Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you want to get us uh, together on the Twitters, it's at hkhspod or on the hashtag hkhspod. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with leaving this one behind, Joe. Yeah, you know what? I I appreciate the recommendation because I did end up enjoying the book. Yeah. Uh, the movie I could have done without, but you know what? That's the nature of the show. Often we end up enjoying the books a little bit more. It's very true. So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Okay, so uh, this is the novel of... This, but let me try to give an overview of the book sure. as best yeah. I can. After the cat stops scratching my chair. Can you stop? Can you? Thank you. Just get up on your perch. Go, 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 go. George, this is why Joe doesn't like you. Get up. 